Let's go ahead and uh, look to the screen as we uh, recite the Lord's Prayer as we do every week. Uh, Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Father, this morning, thank you for your word. And we thank you for the Christmas season and all the uh, goings on that happened during this time of year. And I want to pray for your church family today that you will uh, give protection, that you will give your sense of peace. Um, This morning, Father, as we open the word of the Lord, I pray for an extra measure of your anointing. Uh, to rest on the words that are spoken, but also the ears that will hear and the hearts that will receive. I pray for fruitfulness. I pray that we will uh, be ever-growing in becoming who you have called us to be as individuals and as a church family. Help us today, we pray and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, as Pastor Justin kind of read. He didn't know that I'd be teaching from this text today, but we're going to reread it again. But uh, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop uh, concerning Isaiah really quick. Um, Isaiah is a powerful, uh, very prophetic book of the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah is oftentimes called the Messianic prophet. And the reason he's called that is because Isaiah, uh, more than any other prophet in the Old Testament, wrote about and spoke to the Messiah, who Messiah was going to be, what he was going to do, and all those kind of things. Maybe even all the prophets combined, Isaiah spoke to Jesus more than, more than any of them. Uh, he spoke about uh, the announcement. He spoke about um, the virgin uh, that, would, uh, that would give birth to the child. Uh, he spoke to the ministry he would do, how he would suffer uh, and die for the sins of the people, uh, even his return. Uh, Isaiah speaks to all of these different levels. And as we approach the ninth chapter this morning, um, Isaiah is giving us in a, in a short little section, he's giving us a greater understanding of who Messiah will be and what Messiah will do, what, what ways that you will be able to recognize Messiah. And so we pick up here in verse 6, the Bible says this. Uh, many of you know this, um, it's one of the most accentuated uh, scriptures during Christmas season. The Bible says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, Isaiah writes this text seven hundred years before Christ will be born. He prophetically sees all that Messiah is going to become, all he's going to be. And this was very important for the Jewish people. This text specifically was very important for Jews for this reason. For the vast majority of uh, Israel's existence, 
she has either been in war with other nations or, you know, civil war amongst ourselves within the tribes. She has either been in war or under the threat of war pretty much the entire existence of, of Israel's history. I mean, this is even true today. Um, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, I encourage you to do it. Um, we went a few years ago, and uh, I remember walking down the streets of Tel Aviv and in the streets of Jerusalem, pretty much anywhere in the, the, the middle southern portion of the nation, um, there is this, this overwhelming sense that everything is not okay, that there could be war that could pop off, you know, in, in a moment. Uh, there was just this sense because everybody in their nation is basically, you know, packing. They're all carrying sidearms. Uh, there is a tenseness there between Jews and Christians and Muslims. Um, and it's been like that uh, pretty much for all of Israel's history. And so when Isaiah steps in and he says, listen, when Messiah comes, he's going to breathe the Prince of Peace. He's going to be the one who is going to kind of overtake the government and establish a new type of government that won't dabble in injustice and it won't have anything to do with unrighteousness, but it will be a kingdom of justice and it will be pure and it will be holy, it'll be righteous. This is what the Jews were longing for. They were longing for this era of human history where they wouldn't have to worry about if rockets were going to soar or if people were going to, you know, explode themselves in the middle of a cafe. They're longing for this time of peace. And so when Messiah shows up, they're looking for a certain type of individual, right? They're looking for somebody who is politically uh, uh, geared. They're looking for somebody who's uh, militaristically minded. They're looking for a leader that is going to come and he is going to overthrow the government that exists and he's going to set up a new type of government, right? This is what the Jews are longing for. This is what they're hoping for. But when Jesus shows up, when Messiah finally makes his entrance into the world, to their frustration and to their dismay, Jesus doesn't come and establish that type of peace in his first arrival. Now, there is coming a day when Christ returns where he will establish that type of kingdom. It will be very physical. It will be very real. He came as the Lamb of God, but when he returns, he'll be the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he will establish all these things in a physical sense. But in his first arrival, his primary purpose was not to cause wars to cease. His primary purpose was, was not that, that people would no longer die. His primary purpose was to establish inner peace that all people could have access to. But this is part of the reason the Jews rejected him as Messiah. Because they were expecting a Messiah to come that would establish an outer peace. But Jesus' primary purpose in the beginning was to establish an inner peace. And so it, it kind of begs the question, well, what is peace? This peace that we're talking about, what is, what is peace? And what we find in John chapter 14 is Jesus uh, talking to the disciples right before he goes to the cross. So uh, there are these beautiful three or four uh, chapters in the book of John, and it's showing Jesus' final days, his final moments before he goes to the cross. And so much of what he said is so potent, it's so powerful and so meaningful. But one of the things that he says um, must have been absolutely, you know, 
disturbing to the disciples that heard it. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's already told them that he's going to give his life. They realize they're about to lose their leader. They realize that all of their hopes are about to be dashed. And Jesus makes this powerful statement to them. This is what he says in John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. I, my peace I give you. And I do not give you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So in this portion of scripture, there's so much to unpack here, but, but generally speaking, Jesus is saying this about peace. There are two types of peace that exist. There is a peace that Christ gives, and then there's a peace that the world gives. And as Jesus departs from his disciples, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, I'm about to give you a peace that you haven't experienced before, and it's a peace that the world can't give you and the world can't take away. It's a peace that only Christ can bring. It's what we're going to call today a true peace, okay? And so a true peace is this idea of uh, an internal completeness. It's, it's, the word, it's where we get the Hebrew word shalom. Surely you've heard this in, in church or if you have friends of uh, you know, Jewish ancestry. Um, but this idea of shalom, um, it means peace, but it means so much more than peace. Um, it means peace, but it also means well-being. But probably the most accurate description is, is to have shalom means to be at a perfect peace. It means to be at a complete peace. It means that nothing is missing from your peace. And the peace, the inner peace that Christ brings is an internal completeness and a calm. And listen to me say this. It's an internal calm regardless of what's going on on the exterior. It's an internal calm that pays no attention. It transcends everything that's going on and disruption on the outside. There is a settledness, there's a calm, there is a shalom that Christ offers to his children. This is the true peace that Christ brings. Now, there's another type of peace that the world gives that for today's purposes, we're gonna call a faux peace or a fake peace or a false peace today, okay? And what we know about the peace that the world gives is this, is that um, there are moments where people who are not Christian believers, they can have peace. They can have peace, but the reality is that it's a faux peace. It's, um, it's incomplete, it's lacking, um, it's definitely not sustaining, it can be easily lost. Um, it's oftentimes very momentary, it kind of comes and goes with whatever is going on. It's easily disrupted by everything that's going on on the outside. This is the faux peace. Now, if you're like most people, um, and, and, you know, we, we just think this way sometimes. Sometimes we just think in, in, you know, with our natural logic as opposed to what Scripture uh, depicts. But oftentimes what many people think is that um, peace is going to be found in the absence of problems. Okay? <laughs> See, she laughed. She knows. Okay? That, that if... Man, you know, I'm having these financial struggles right now. If I can just get those problems over here, then I'll have peace. Or if, if, if man, things are just wonky in my marriage, if I can just settle this and, and not have these problems, then I would be at peace. Or if I could just get my health under, under wraps, if I could just get rid of this medical problem, then I will be at peace. The reality is this, though. We know that's not true. 
we know that's not true based off of our personal experience and the experience that we've seen other people have, right? Because we all know somebody, we are, have known somebody, or maybe you're this person, I don't know. When the bank account is just like brimming over, you know, um, there, there are no issues financially. It's like the, the windows of ancient heavens have opened and all the bills are paid months in advance. Your car is paid off, your vehicle, you know, your house, everything's paid off. Your kid's tuition is prepared. We all know uh, there are people like that that exist in the world, okay? Many of them are celebrities, all this kind of thing. But this is also what we know. Just because they have their financial problems taken care of doesn't mean that they have peace, Right? We all know people that are in perfect health. They're fit as a fiddle, right? They've got no health problems, but they also don't have inner peace. And we all know people at one time or another, their guy has won the election, right? But they still don't have peace, right? Or maybe if they do have peace because their guy's in the White House, it's a faux peace. And let me just reassure you, no matter who's in the White House, it's a faux peace. Okay, so let me, let, me, let me just remind us. So peace is not found in the absence of my problems. Peace is always and forever found in the presence of Almighty God. Okay, listen, um, I remember when, when I was a child, um, I was a pretty rambunctious kid, okay? Uh, several broken bones, several surgeries, um, you know, I have scars to prove it. We, you know, we would have BB gun wars and bottle rocket fights and all this. I mean, we were, parenting was very different in the 80s than, than it is today, okay? Um, and I remember, I, I was pretty very much, there, there weren't a lot of things that I remember being afraid of. There weren't a lot of things that really disturbed, you know, my, my, my settledness. Um, I was never really afraid of the dark. Um, I don't remember being afraid of monsters or anything like that. Um, but there were two things that absolutely terrified me to the core, okay? Um, the first one was the rapture, okay? If, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, like in, in evangelical circles, the rapture was like the most talked about topic in most pulpits in our nation, right? Uh, we made the worst movies and wrote the worst books about the rapture of the church. And if you grew up in that era, and if you were kind of like not really walking with Jesus, but you kind of were and not really sure, you were terrified that you were going to get left, right? You were afraid, and I would walk around the house. I would walk around the house, and if I couldn't find mom, because I knew mama was walking with Jesus, mama, mama, you know, I'm in the bathroom. What is wrong with you, you know? And so the, the rapture was terrifying. Let me just say, we probably need a little bit more fear of that in the church today. But anyway, uh, the second thing, the second thing that absolutely terrified me um, was severe weather, okay? Now, I grew up during the era of, um, of uh, storm chasers. You remember that show on the Weather Channel? They would chase these tornadoes and, you know, track them down like morons. And I was fascinated with that show, which is kind of ironic because that was the very thing that petrified me to the, to the core, right? I was terrified. I felt that my entire life, I felt like I was destined to die in a tornado. I just knew that's what it was. God may do 
all of these great things in my life, or my life may look like this, or it may look like this, but I was convinced at the end of all these things, my ultimate demise is gonna be in a tornado. I mean, that's just what I believe. And I remember as a kid, um, you know, growing up in Florida, um, tornado season's basically 10 months out of the year, you know? And um, I remember waking up in the mornings, and one of the first things I would do is I would look out the window to see what the weather was like, you know? And if it was windy or if it was raining or if the clouds were gray or whatever, um, you know, I, I would just all of a sudden have all this anxiety within me. And during that time, um, my dad traveled a lot. And uh, I remember that uh, there would be times, especially in the summer months when the weather was, you know, every day at like 2.34 p.m., there's going to be, a, you know, a severe thunderstorm or whatever. I remember... Um, being, being just petrified for, for years during this time. And I remember my mom, who was one of the most nurturing and lovely women, she always has been that way, and she took such good care of me and my sister. She would always try to come in to console me, you know, and, and just, baby, you're going to be fine. It's going to be okay. You know, nothing's going to, we're going to be okay. And, and she would do her very best to do it. But it didn't matter what she said, and it didn't matter what she did. I was just rattled on the inside for, with fear. But my dad, on the other hand, though he traveled a lot, it's almost like he had the opposite effect of what my mom had. Because my dad, no matter where he was, you know, in the world traveling, if my dad, if I could just get him on the phone during one of those moments of panic, all of a sudden, whew, it's just like the fear left. It was, it was one of these things, like in my mind, especially if my dad was with me in the house or wherever we were, it was this idea that if dad is with me, totally illogical, right? But if my dad is with me, we're going to be fine. It, it was illogical. It didn't make sense. But I just believed that my dad would take care of everything. And there was this overwhelming sense of peace. But listen to me. I could only sense that peace if I could make connection with my dad. And in a spiritual sense, that's kind of a glimpse of the peace that God offers to us, but it's only found when we make that connection with his presence. Listen to me. Life is hard, and life is troubling, and life is frustrating, and listen, life is disappointing. But I want to remind us that Jesus, like, set us up for that. He prepared us. He gave us the pregame speech. And he said, listen, in this world, you will have troubles. So he, he kind of gave us an understanding. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow all the external stuff that's swirling around us to invade that inner peace that God has for us. But we've got to be a people that are able and willing to not focus on the things that are surrounding, but to make connection with the presence of God, okay? And so today what I want to do is I want to take, take a few moments, and I want to talk to you about a few different categories of peace that God offers to us, okay? Um, uh, you know, the, the word peace in Scripture, it can be applied. There's almost 800 different times in the Bible uh, the, the, the word peace is associated and applied to different situations all throughout the Bible. Uh, I heard Rick Warren say one time, he said, uh, for every problem, there is a peace that God has for you. 
right? And I believe that. I believe that, you know, if you've got a financial problem, there's a, there's, a, there's a piece for that. If you've got a relational issue, there's a piece for that. I believe that. Um, but today, for the sake of time and, and your attention, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break all of these 800 into three different categories, okay? Just three very general categories. And I kind of want to walk us through the peace that God has made available to us. And then I want to talk about the things, the elements in life that disturb our peace. And then finally, I want to finish up by talking about how we can uh, sustain that peace that God has designed for us. And so in your notes here this morning, I want to talk to you about the three uh, broad categories of the peace that God offers to us. Okay, number one in your notes is this. Because of the work of Christ on the cross... We are given an opportunity to have eternal peace with God, okay? Now, here's a distinction that we got to make at the forefront. There is a difference in having the peace of God and being at peace with God, okay? And most people that live on this planet, they want to have the peace of God in all of life's situations, but don't necessarily want to have peace with God. Even those who have rejected him say, I, I don't want any of that, but I'll take all of this, right? And so there, there's a very big distinction. There's a difference between being at peace with God and having the peace of God. But the first and primary thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross for us is this, is that we can now have peace with God, right? See, from the beginning, from the beginning, from Adam, we understand that when Adam sinned against God, when he disobeyed, when he broke the peace with God, there was a chasm that was put between us and the Almighty. And, and for every person, for every generation, for all of human history, we have been distanced from God. But it's not just that we have, you know, we're far from God or, you know, we're, we're kind of stepped away from God. It's not, that's not the language Scripture uses. The scripture uses language like we are enemies against God. We are rebels and we are defiant against God. All throughout human history, we have defied who the God of the universe is and we have rejected him. But God in his tremendous love for us sent his son as a peace offering. The one who did no wrong said, although I didn't do it, although you're the guilty ones, I'm going to extend a peace offering to you. And this is what Paul said to the Romans. Paul said, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We have the ability to have peace with God which then ultimately exposes us to the peace of God in so many different situations of life. But without peace with God, there's no access to the peace of God, right? Now, Jesus is called in the text, he's called the Prince of Peace, okay? Another way of looking at that, that uh, title is to call Jesus the Administrator of Peace, in other words, there are times where the Spirit of God can come and bring peace in a moment that nothing else can bring us peace in. There, he is the administrator. He can delegate peace anytime that he wants to. But as the administrator of peace, he can also remove peace anytime that he wants. Now, that's not a great Christmas sermon, is it? Okay. But it's scripture, 
It's what we're taught in the Bible about who God is. I'll give you an example. So before you became a Christian, when you were an enemy against God, uh, in Scripture, there are things that, that spoke to you as you were away from God. It was phraseology like uh, the unquenchable fires of eternal judgment and damnation, right? Listen to me say this. The, those types of scriptures were never intended to bring peace to any soul. When, when God penned the words of scripture about the judgment and how outside of Christ we remain under the angry wrath of God, that was not meant to bring us peace, right? That was meant to disrupt our peace because that peace was a faux peace in order to bring us true peace, right? And so, so there are times when God will disrupt our faux peace in order to give us true peace, right? Before I became a Christian, um, I, was, I was dating, my, who's my wife now, I was dating Joy just a couple of weeks in. I was not a Christian. She was um, my sister, my brother, everybody in my family pretty much was following Jesus but me. And uh, I remember um, it was during the Christmas season, and we went to this place in Pensacola. Um, there was a church that did this incredible light display. I mean, just this incredible, it was like a tour. You would walk through these gardens. I mean, just majestic. It was so beautiful. And I remember we, we come to the end of the tour. It was freezing that night, and um, Joy and my brother-in-law had kind of you know, at the end of the tour, there's cocoa, and they got fire pits, and, you know, food and snacks, all this stuff. They kind of, I don't even know what they were doing, but they were over there. And my sister, whom I have an incredible relationship with, always have, um, I was over there trying to get, you know, warm by the fire, you know, because I was freezing to death. And um, my sister comes over next to me, and she just kind of, she snuggles in, you know, like a good sister does. And we start talking about things, and at a certain point in our conversation, she looks down at the fire and she says, man, that, that fire is roaring. I said, yeah. And she said, can you imagine what people must experience who reject Christ, you know, in that moment? And I was like, I'm not stupid. I know exactly what you're trying to do. You're not trying to give me a great Christmas experience you're trying to disrupt this peace that I have with this beautiful girl. My sister knew exactly what she was doing. She wasn't trying to give me peace. She was trying to plant a seed that would erupt my peace so that hopefully in time I could have a greater sense of peace. And that's exactly what, that's exactly, thank God, what ended up happening. My God, my, uh, God used my sister in order to accomplish that. My point in saying that is this, is that there are times where the Spirit of God will disrupt our false peace but it's always, always, always to give us a greater, truer peace, right? It's what we call the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? It's, it's when there's something within that, that God is drawing us, he will disrupt our peace in order to give us peace. And so, so the first thing that Christ makes available to us is peace with God. And thankfully, once we have peace with God, now we have access to the peace of God in so many different situations. I want to talk to you about two of them really quickly. Number two in your notes. We are also given an opportunity to have external peace with other people, okay? So now that I have peace with God, this enables me to have a true peace with other people, okay? Um, in in other, some other Christian denominations or sects of Christianity, 
um, there's a tradition that, that many churches have that's an ancient tradition, I mean thousands of years old, that they've kind of you know, brought into modern times. And it's the tradition that we call passing the peace. And this is what uh, it kind of how a church service will kind of unfold when, when they do this. A priest will stand before the people and he will lead the people in confession, okay, confession of sin or wrongdoing or whatever. And in the midst of that confession, they will ask God to forgive them and to wash them of their sins. And following that, the, after they have, they have confessed these things, they have made peace with God, then the priest will look at them and he will say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And then at that moment, they will begin to do something that's called the passing of the peace. And this is what it looks like. Once they have made peace with God, they then realize that they can pass that peace to other people. Now that I have peace with God, I can have peace with other people. And so they will begin to go and give hugs or handshakes or pats on the back or holy kisses or whatever it is. We have kind of, you know, in, in Western culture, we've kind of reduced that a little bit and we, we call it the meet and greet time, right? But, but the meet and greet time comes from something far more rich and it's what we call the passing of the, of the peace. And it's the whole concept, it's the whole understanding that because now I have peace with God, now I can have peace with other people. And listen, this is vitally important to your inner peace that you so desperately hope for. Paul said, as, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Jesus would say, listen, um, you are peacemakers because you are sons and daughters of God. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you've been adopted into the family of God, you are a son or a daughter of the king, and as sons and daughters of the king, you are now peacemakers. It's not like this optional title that we can say, eh, I'd rather not, right? There, there are so many that, that truly, you know, they may have peace with God, but they don't necessarily have peace with other people. And they live their lives miserable. They're going to go to heaven because of the grace of God, but they live miserable lives and they may go to heaven by themselves, you know, but they have chosen that they do not want to pass the peace to other people. They don't want to live at peace with other people, whether things they have done or have been done to them, whatever the case may be. But there are some folks who live like that, but that is not the direction that God has for his children. God has for his children, as far as it depends on you. In other words, if you can make it happen, make it happen. Make peace with other people. And here's the thing. God has given us access to be able to do that. Listen, in order to do that, though, sometimes the false peace that exists between me and another person Sometimes that false peace has to be disrupted so that I can bring a true peace to that relationship. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Christmas is coming. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're going to be in houses and around dinner tables and at other people's places with, with, with people that there is a faux peace that exists between you for the simple reality that you don't want to make war in front of the kids, right? That's, that's a faux peace though. And all I'm saying all I'm saying is that sometimes, as far as it depends on us, if there is a faux peace or, you know, you know, no peace at all that exists between me and another person, I need to do what I can to make 
that true peace come to life. Sometimes that looks like having a really difficult conversation. Sometimes that looks like um, me forgiving somebody even though they haven't asked to be forgiven. And other times it looks like me going to somebody asking, please forgive me because of something that I've done, you know, that half the time I didn't even know that I did, but maybe I've done something to offend, I need you to forgive me, right? And we all know the difference. We all know the difference between, you know, uh, Cousin Eddie, right, who is like this blabbering, you know, conspiracy theorist, and, you know, he has all these thoughts and opinions about all these things, and of course you don't agree with him, all that, but, you know, he's family, you love him, There's a peace that exists. There's no real issue between us that exists, okay? You may not be best friends, but it's not a fake peace. You'd you'd lay down your life for them. But there there is, you know, it's okay there. We know the difference between, you know, a a cousin Eddie and, and an Uncle Bob who has deeply wounded me in some way. And now there is something that exists between us that is not godly and it's not healthy, And scripture says, as far as it depends on me, because now that I have peace with God, who has been the greatest of offended, now I have to pass that peace to another person. It's my obligation as a son or a daughter of God. Now, obviously, we don't have time to go into all of this. Obviously, there are some people that you don't need to have a close relationship with. You don't need to be reconciled. You may need to forgive, but they may need to stay out of your life, okay? Those are extreme situations and all that. All I'm saying is this. I think that we have taken some situations and said, well, I saw the way that they looked at me, and now we want to write them out of our lives instead of choosing to make peace with people, okay? And so, so the point is, is that now that we have peace with God, it now gives us the opportunity to have peace with other people, okay? And number three is this. Now that we have peace with God, we can have peace with other people. And this is probably the peace that, if we're being honest, this is the peace that we probably hope for outside of all the other pieces. And it's what we call an inner peace. You and I both are wired to desire to have a settledness and a calmness within our souls. And the trouble is, is that in the day that we live, it's very rare to find someone that has a sustaining inner peace. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I have learned the secret of being content. Okay, that that word, you could substitute that word with being at peace. I have learned the secret of being at peace in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. He's saying, listen, whether things are going really, really well or really, really bad, I have learned the secret to be at peace with my life and my inner self. I have learned the secret to be at peace. Whether living in plenty or living in want, I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. And so what I want to do for, for the next few minutes I want to, I'm going to hold you hostage because I know everybody in your mind, you're like, okay, just get to it. How do we sustain our inner peace? Okay. I'm getting there, but not yet. Okay. Um, We're going there. But what I want to talk about first is I want to talk about the reality that when it, when it's related to our inner peace, there are things in our life that have the potential to disrupt that inner peace. I think it's important we, we're able to identify those things so that we can properly deal with those things. You don't go to a doctor and the physician just look at you and be like, yep, you're sick. 
no, what kind, how am I sick? He's like, I, I just told you, you're, you need to go to the hospital. For what? No, we need to specifically be able to diagnose what's going on, what's disrupting that inner peace within us so that we can have victory over that thing. Amen? Are you with me? Okay, here we go. Let's talk about things that disrupt our inner peace. Number one in your notes, my inner peace may be disrupted because of sin. Okay? Now, in the life of David, we see David, you know, he's known as a a man after God's own heart, but so often we only give him attention when we're talking about his sin with Bathsheba, you know, uh, which is what we're going to do today. But uh, anyway, um, (laughs) David um, has committed adultery with this woman, Bathsheba, okay? And he has found out she is pregnant with child, and so in a roundabout way, David has her husband's life taken right? He, he, he sets him up, husband dies, he's basically guilty of, of murder and adultery, okay? As far as we can gather, um, there, there's almost a year, a little less than a year of time goes by before David ever confesses the sin to God or anybody else. I mean, almost a year of time, David has set on this sin, this secret knowledge of this wicked, vile, evil acts that he has done, he sits on these things and he just sits on these things. The prophet Nathan comes, he calls out the sin, David repents, okay? Well, what we find in Psalm 32 is David looking back on the period of time where he just soaked in his sin, where he was unrepentant, what he was going through and all this. And after the repentance, David looks back and he journals about it in Psalm 32. This is what he said. He said, when I kept silent about my sin... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, God's heavy hand was on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. You know what it sounds like to me David saying there? It sounds like David saying my peace was taken from me because of my unrepentant sin. Because I chose to cater to and to nurse this sin without just coming clean and confessing before God and man. I chose to hold on to this, and as I held on to it, it bled my soul dry. And I was, the, the, the peace was removed, but I want you to understand what, what Scripture says here. It's that the heavy hand of the Lord was on David. It wasn't just that David had a guilty conscience. It was that the God Almighty had come down and put his hand on David, saying, David, you know this isn't right. You know this isn't good. And God himself, it appears, disrupted the peace that David had in that moment until David repented, and then God would restore his peace. And listen to me. I know it's easy to say, man, I can't believe God would do something like that. Aren't you glad that God does stuff like that? I mean, listen to me. That's not a bad thing. When your peace is disrupted over evil, that's not bad, okay? That's a, that's a very, very good thing. I, uh, I have found a new, I grew up hunting, uh, and, uh, you know, over the past five or six years, I've found just a, a resurgent passion for, for hunting of all types and everything, and so um, I have a group of buddies that go and everything, and uh, I'm going to tell you this, if you're a hunter, do I got any hunters in here? Wow, okay, there we go, all right. Uh, if, you, if you've ever been hunting, 
and you're, you're in a deer stand, okay, you're elevated and all this. You're trying to sit still. Dawn has, has just broken. You know, the fog is starting to lift. The sun comes out. And everything is just so peaceful. You ever experienced this? There's, there's just utter and complete peace. Uh, you know, it's very still. It's like, it's like you could hear gnats whisper, you know, if you listen close enough. There's nothing going on. It is just, it's tranquil. It's just the most amazing thing. But if you're a true hunter, there is no better feeling on earth when that peace is disrupted by a crunching of footsteps. And all of a sudden, your eyes get big. You don't want to breathe. You don't want to move. But your heart is racing so fast. And you can't look behind you, so you kind of do your eyes like that, and you still can't see anything. Until all of a sudden, the trophy buck that you've been longing for all season long walks out. Do you know why a hunter is thrilled when that peace is disrupted? Because something has appeared, and he wants to kill it. If he's a real hunter. Otherwise, he just wants to take photos, right? <laughs> Listen, for those who are spiritually mature, when God disrupts our peace with something that needs to die, it's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it's an opportunity to grow in sanctification. It's an opportunity, listen to me, and I know, I realize, hear me say this, I realize that, that sometimes when, when our peace is disturbed, it's very, very frustrating, especially if we can't put our finger on it. But listen to me say this, child of God, if, if your Father in heaven ever allows your inner peace to be disrupted, it is only and always so that he can give you a greater measure of peace. He is not disrupting your peace when there is unrepentant sin just for the sake of toying with your emotions. He is disrupting your peace so you can kill that thing and you can step into a truer level and a greater measure of peace that only Christ can get. And so it's not a bad thing when God disrupts or allows our uh, inner peace to be disrupted when it, when it comes to things such as sin. Number two in your notes, my inner peace may be disrupted because God is shifting things in my life. Paul and Silas have had incredible ministry up to this point in Acts chapter 16. I mean, they have had tremendous fruit. God has moved in miraculous signs and wonders and conversions and salvation. Uh, just so many people have come to Christ. Um, Paul and Silas are set out, and, and they, are, they have mapped out where they're going. And they are on their journey. They're, they're headed toward a destination. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that as they are going, that the Spirit of Jesus stopped them in their tracks. And he directed them another way. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the Spirit of God forbade them from speaking the Word of God in the place where they wanted to speak the Word of God. That sounds bizarre, right? That doesn't sound very much like God's nature. But here's the, the point I'm trying to make. They had in their minds where they were going, what life was going to look like, what their destination was going to be. But God in his sovereignty disrupted their plans and their peace and shifted them another direction because he had a greater purpose for them in their lives, right? And the truth is this, 
is that there are times in all of our lives, whether it be um, you know, our career path or the degree program that we're going down or you know, the decisions that we're making in relationships or friendships or whatever the case may be, there may be times where God allows our inner peace to be disrupted because God's trying to do a new thing. He's trying to change our direction. He's trying to shift us from where we are to where we need to be, right? I remember uh, years ago when uh, we've been at Christian Life over 11 years now. It's, it's just crazy to me. Um, but I remember we were at a church in Florida, and we had been there for nine years. And I remember the, the year before we got the phone call to come and interview at Christian Life, I remember there was like, there was this unsettledness that just kind of permeated my life. I wasn't settled in, in anything that I was doing. I felt like I couldn't sleep well at night. I, I felt like, you know, even uh, at work, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't hitting on all cylinders. It was, it was very, very frustrating. And I felt just like this unsettled frustration. You know what I mean? Like this, uh, it, it just, I couldn't put my finger on it. I don't know what it was. Looking back now with the, with the perspective of history, I'm able to look at that now. And what I'm able to see is that little by little, God was disrupting my peace so that he could send me in a new direction. It's this whole idea of a mama bird and a baby in the nest. You know, sometimes to get that baby out of the nest, what that mama bird will do is she will little by little begin to take pieces out of the nest. And she may take other pieces and she may put them in the nest that kind of make the little ones uncomfortable. And it gets to a point where mama needs these babies to fly so that they can sustain their own lives, so that they can take care of themselves. And that mama will make those birds so uncomfortable one way or another until they finally just leap out of the nest and they start to fly. It's the same kind of concept. There are times where God will make us so uncomfortable in the situation that we're in that it will seem like our peace is interrupted. It will seem like we're, we're really disturbed in that. But oftentimes what it is is that God is trying to change our trajectory of where we're going. Number three is this. My inner peace may be disturbed because of an enemy attack. We see this in the life of Job. Job says, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sands of the sea. Job's saying this. He's saying, listen, I know that my friends didn't do this. I know that people didn't do this. I know that God didn't do this. This was a satanic attack and an attempt on my family and my life. And my peace is so disrupted in this moment. And if so, if anybody could just touch this piece, it would surely, the weight of it would just, it would, it would overcome anybody who could ever touch this. Well, well, why is this? It's because the reality is this. We, we learn from Paul in Ephesians that although that we have peace with God, we understand that we are still at war spiritually. And there are moments, listen to me say this. I don't know what, what background you come from or, or whatever you believe regarding the, the things of the supernatural. But I'm telling you, Scripture is absolutely crystal clear that we're at war with not only our great enemy, the devil, but we're at war with demons and other forces and principalities. And these things can oppress and suppress and attack. And if we're not careful, we can allow that to penetrate our inner peace 
in the same way that Job did. And I'm not even saying that anybody's wrong when those things kind of happen. I'm just saying it's something that we've got to be aware of that we are still at war in the spiritual sense. Number four, my inner peace may be disrupted because of circumstances. And then finally, number five, my inner peace may be disrupted because of false beliefs or false thinking. Let me say this, these last two, because of circumstances and because of wrong thinking or wrong beliefs, I believe that for the children of God, these are probably the two that are most common in our lives that are the most frustrating for us because when circumstances of our life are trying to find a way into our inner peace, sometimes we cave to that as opposed to sustaining and pursuing the peace of God and and looking for that shalom, that complete and perfect peace. And then finally, like I said, the the other reason would would be because of false beliefs or thinking, okay? Now, this is related to um, this is related to not only what I, I think about God, what I believe about God, but it's also related to what I believe about myself as a son of God. It, it's about what I think that other people think about me when I allow those things to encroach on my, my peace. Uh, it's related to what I choose to focus on in life. These things have a way of disrupting our peace in a way that, that's incredibly, incredibly frustrating, right? Um, you know, I know that everybody has um, a sob story, okay? Uh, so uh, I'm gonna preface what I'm about to say with that. Uh, I know that everybody has you know, tough years and, and all this kind of stuff, but let me tell you about mine, okay? Um, man, I thought 2020 was a rough year, right? But coming to the end of 2022, 2020 for me was like a playground. I was like, ooh, this is fun, life, you know, we get, I don't have to go into the office today, you know, kind of, it, it was glorious compared to some of the things that I feel like I had to face in 2022. I was, uh, a few weeks ago, I was having kind of, you know, this, this pity party with me and Jesus, you know, and, and uh, I, was, I was journaling because journaling sometimes is just such a great way of release, you know, and um, I was journaling and, and I'm journaling and I'm like, Father, I, I'm just, I just feel so beat up right now. You know, like this year has probably been one of the worst years of my life. You know, that, I mean, I'd say top four. Okay, top four. Rough. And, and it's not just things that, that happened to me personally. It's things that happened to people that I love. and diff- like, It was just a rough year all around. And so I'm kind of complaining to the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, you, you hear my cry. You know, and, and I'm writing. And, and so then I'm like, I'm so, I'm doing it. And I'm like, well, you know what, Lord, if you, if you don't believe me, here we go. And I started listing them. One, two, three, four, five, and just on and on down the list. And I get to the end of the list, and I'm like, see? You see, did you realize? It's been a lot of crap this year, okay? And I'm frustrated, and I'm like, I'm like dude, no wonder I'm tired, right? And then in, in the sweetness of, of who the Lord is, I was so reminded. He said, he said to me, yeah, this, this was a very tough year for you. He said, but it was also one of the greatest years of your life. And then he just started listing all these different things. And I was like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> no, he started listing all of these different things. 
And I started to relish in, in all of these things. And I was like, man, I had no idea. I started looking at the list. The list is almost, you know, the, the same number of, 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 you know, frustrations and, and great. And I started to just, man, why do I feel of all of these great things? Why do I feel and, and all these things? And this is the conclusion I came to. It's because I've chosen to focus on this column and I've rejected this column. I've, I've chosen to, you know, elevate this column, and I've demoted all the good things. And, and I'm, I'm aware of the good things, but I've kind of put them in another place that I'll only pay attention to when I feel like paying attention to, but all the time I'm going to choose to pay attention to these. And it's frustrating. It's very, very frustrating. I've been walking with the Lord, you know, in, in, proportionally in my life, more than half my life. And it's very, very frustrating that I still find myself in those kind of situations where the Lord's just saying, Corey, you need to shift what you're focusing your attention on. Why are you so consumed with that when all of this is still so good and so incredible in your life? And so I think that, that what we've got to do, again, is we've got to be aware that there are things that can encroach on our inner peace, okay? And so here's the crescendo. This is where all of this has been leading to. I want to talk to you for the, for the last few minutes that we have. I want to talk to you about how to sustain the peace of God in your life, the, the shalom, the complete peace of God in your life. Even as all these exterior factors try to come in and encroach, what are the things that I can do to sustain this peace? And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to read a host of scriptures here in a moment, but I'm going to tell you every single scripture that I read, it is God saying, listen, if you want the peace of God, you have to do this. He's saying, if you want the result, you've got to sow the seed of action. If you want the peace of God, you must do this and you will receive this. The peace of God is not this thing that we are just unconsciously always going to experience. It's not always going to be complete. There are moments, thank God, the grace of God overwhelms us and, and we experience that even when we're not pursuing peace. But my point is simply this, is that scripture indicates that if we want peace, it must be pursued, okay? It's the idea of shalom. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 26. He's speaking of the Lord right now. He says, you will keep in peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, this word peace right here, when you look at it, it's actually what, what, the, what the text is actually saying is, is you will keep in shalom, shalom, those whose minds are steadfast on you. What scripture is actually saying, he's saying, listen, you will keep in perfect, complete peace, those whose minds are steadfast. Why? Because they trust in you. You know what trust, in, in this context, what trust means? It means that I am like throwing myself on God. I am like draping myself on him. My legs have given out. Nothing is going to support me but the Lord. I have to throw myself. It's a leaning. It's a trust. It's the same word that we use when we say you must put your faith in Christ. It means that you have to look at your salvation. And you have to say, there is nothing that I can do except fall on him. That's what it's saying about peace. It's saying there's nothing I can do. I just have to fall on him. I have to rely on him. I have to soak in him 
This is the sustained peace of God. And so there, there are three very quick things I want to I uh, talk to you about very, very quickly. Number one is this. When it comes to sustaining peace, the most important by far, sustained peace is found in his presence. That's very obvious, okay? But let me, let me read this scripture to you and, and help frame it out a little bit more. Matthew 11, this is Jesus speaking to his people. He says this. He says, come to me. Okay, there's the action. Come to me. Fall on me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, those of you who are not at peace in your soul, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So two things Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, just come to me. Fall on me. Trust in me. But you've got you to come to me. You've got to come into my presence where there's not only uh, a, a joy forevermore, but there's peace everlasting. You've got you've to come into my presence. And when you come, take my yoke upon you. Right? And this is what he means. You know, a, a yoke, um, ancient times, a yoke was a wooden frame where you would put two large animals that would plow a field. The purpose of the yoke was, was to keep, you know, the line straight in the field. But it, the secondary purpose was so that the, the two could accomplish more together and that, so that one didn't die an early death because of all the stuff that it was taking on itself. And can I tell you, out of... Out of more than 20 years in ministry. Most people that I have encountered where they're peace, they are just not at peace in their souls. Most people, it is because they have not come to Jesus and they have not taken his yoke upon them, but they have tried to do everything by themselves. And the weight of worry and the weight of burden, all of these things have broken and crushed them to the place of despair. They've lost their inner peace. But Jesus says, listen, if you will just come to me, listen to me, I am going to help you carry it. I'm not going to completely remove it, but I am going to carry it in a sustaining way where you will be able to be victorious over the things of this life. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, listen, if you want to get warm, you got to get close to the fire. He said, if you want to get wet, you got to jump in the water, Right? But then he says this, he says, and if you want joy, if you want power, if you want peace, if you want eternal life, you must get close to or into that thing that has those things. What Lewis is saying, he's saying, listen, you want the joy of God, you want the peace of God, you want the sustained inner peace, then you've got to draw near to peace. Because listen to me, peace is far more than an emotion. Peace is an emotion. But peace is a person, and the person of peace is Jesus, and we only retain that peace as we draw near to peace. It's an overflow that we receive as we come into his presence. And so there, there's, there's never been a greater. Listen, since the pandemic, I would say in the last 25 years, that to me, there has never been more of an impressing uh, church metric that I have seen than in the past two years, uh, studies have revealed, and this is secular studies all the way to the you know, devout Christian studies, studies across the board have, have proven everything that I'm saying to you in this, and they've said this. As we are in a mental health collapse in our nation, 
since 2020, even though we are in the midst of that, the people who have been at more peace and the people who have been better with their mental health are those who have flocked to the presence of God in church services. It's studies all across the board. They're overwhelming. And it's proof in the pudding that people who draw near to the peace of God will receive the peace of God. It's an incredible thing, but we got to draw near. we got to come. Number two is this. The sustained peace of God is found in his promises. So much of our peace hinges on what we focus on and what we believe about God, about ourselves, and about other people. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans very quickly. Paul says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. Listen to that. The mind governed by the flesh. The mind governed by the economic situation right now is death. The mind governed by the elections is death. The mind governed on all the issues at work is death. But the mind that is governed by the spirit of the living God, oh, that's life. And it's not just life, it's peace. And it's peace overwhelming. But the mind governed by all these things, it's not going to be fruitful. It's not going to be helpful to the spirit man. It's only going to produce frustration and death, all these things. But the one that's governed by the spirit produces life. It's the idea of taking scripture and not just going through a reading plan. And I think we should go through reading plans. I, I really, really do. It's not just hearing sermons. And I, you know I believe in preaching sermons, okay? But I'm saying it's the idea, the Old Testament would call it, of meditating on the promises of God. A better word for, for meditate, uh, meditate is, is ruminate, okay? But the, the word picture that we're given is that of a cow chewing its cud, okay? Now, some of you may have more knowledge of this than I do, but I'll tell you what, this is the way that I understand it. Anytime that you drive by a field and you see, uh, you know, cattle out in the field, the cattle are usually doing what? They're eating, right? And, and the, the science shows us that, that uh, cows eat a lot, but usually what they do is they'll, they'll eat a lot of grass, so they'll scoop up some grass in their mouth. And what you may see is you may see that cow chew on the grass three, four, five, six times maybe before they swallow it, okay? So it's not really broken up. We would choke and die if, if we did that, okay, with steak. But, but they just give it a, a couple of chews and then they, they digest it, they, they ingest it, okay? Naturally, the cow, the, that, that grass, those particles go into one compartment of the cow and that compartment begins to break up the grass and it begins to pull out nutrients. It begins to do things inside the stomach that the cow has no idea what's going on. But all of a sudden, at a certain point, then the body naturally regurgitates what the cow has just swallowed, right? And as he regurgitates, the cow then, my wife would love this right now. He begins to chew on the cud and then he, he swallows it after a few more. 
And, and it goes back into the digestive system. And then it begins to pull out even more nutrients that, that weren't available the first time. And then the cow regurgitates it. And then the cud is in the mouth. And, and over and over again, he begins to do it. And then he swallows again up to 60 times a day. The cow will eat and regurgitate and eat what it has vomited. Have you ever, let's be, no, okay, I'm not going to ask that. Listen. <laughs> By the end of the process, the cud is no longer grass. It's a milky substance. (laughs) But here's the reason why. Because the cow, unconsciously, in God's majestic divine design, he has created this animal to take a blade of grass and to pull out every fiber and every nutrient and every cell of fat, everything that that cow needs to live a sustainable life. He is pulling it out of him, and every time he regurgitates and chews and swallows again, the cavity inside the animal is breaking down more, and the animal's getting more and more and more, and thank God he does so we can have ribeye more and more and more. That's the idea of meditating on the scriptures, that I can sit and I can just soak in, Lord, you are giving me peace, and you are giving me a peace that the world cannot give. And Lord, as a son or a daughter of God, I have been adopted into your kingdom because of your great love. Not that I loved you, but you first loved me. And Lord, I'm going to soak in that, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull out every fiber of that in the spirit, and I'm going to make sure that my inner spirit man is growing, and I'm developing, and I'm maturing into everything that you have created me to be. Listen to me. You start meditating on the promises of God in that way, your inner peace will be sustained. It will be complete. There will be shalom. There will be a wholeness there that otherwise may not be. And then finally, number three is this. And I'm going to go ahead and ask for our ministry teams. I'm, I'm going to wrap up a little bit early for a purpose today. But I'm going to ask our ministry teams to go ahead and come uh, into place, even while I'm talking. It's not going to disrupt anybody. Just don't look at them while they're walking. Look at me. Okay. okay. <laughs> Number three is finally this. It's finally this presence and his promises. And the sustaining peace of God is found in his praises. Listen to what. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. That's what he says. He says, I will say it again. You know, anytime a pastor says, let me say that again, what he's really saying is, I don't think you got that, okay? (laughs) Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. (laughs) I don't think you got that. Rejoice. And do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, you remember, whether in plenty or in lack, in every situation, by prayer and petition, and listen, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and listen to what happens. And the peace of God, in other words, after you do these things, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, in the midst of chaos, 
if you will focus with thanksgiving and you will rejoice in your salvation, and if you will look to the things of heaven and not just the things of earth, if you will worship God even in the most trying of circumstances, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. But then the peace of God that surpasses, it transcends understanding. It'll be your portion. Listen to me. That is real worship. I'm going to tell you what. It is easy. It is easy in a church like ours to worship. Especially when we're all gathered together. You got this voice. His, Ryan's voice is like butter. Pastor Glenn's voice is, you know, I mean, they're, it's just incredible. And then everybody, oh my goodness. It's, it's just unbelievable. The musicians, everything. It's just a whole nother level. And if we're not careful, we can kind of step into a sanctuary and, and we can just, woo, yes, you know, without even thinking. It's just unconscious because you sense God's presence and everything is just hitting off so good. Uh, but listen to me say this. That's worship in one sense. But can I tell you in a whole nother sense, when your world is crumbling, that is when the test of a true worshiper comes to bear. When nothing makes sense in your world, and it seems like all hope's been lost, and it seems like all peace has been disseminated, when you choose in the face of that to say, rejoice, I will bless the Lord at all times, for he is good, that's worship. And that's when the peace of God that transcends all things will rush in. I remember... When I was um, a new Christian, I had only been a Christian three or four months. And uh, Joy and I were, uh, we were engaged and we were at a part of uh, a smaller church, a good, healthy church, but a smaller church in Florida. And um, our pastor, um, which had been a pastor in our childhood, you know, really the only pastor we'd ever really known, um, his grandson took his life in that spring. And um, I remember just, man, just as a new believer, just so many questions, just so many speculations and, you know, just so much, just, just overwhelming thoughts and feelings and emotions, everything. And uh, I remember going to the funeral and the, the church was full because it was, you know, it was the pastor's grandson and, and it devastated their family naturally, um, but it devastated the church family you know, because there was an intimacy there. And I remember, um, I remember watching the family come down the aisle and they sat right over here on the front row. And, you know, as the, the funeral service progressed, uh, there were different things that would happen. And um, at one point there was a song that was being sung. And I, I can't even remember the song. I think it was How Great Thou Art. That's what I think it was. I can't remember. And all of a sudden in, in, in the church, everybody was seated. And all of a sudden... I see mom. She stands up. And mom, in the, in the midst of like this utter devastation, how great thou art. How great thou art. I don't understand. Frustrated. You talk about questions. And listen to me, questions that will never be answered for that family. And then I see dad stand up. I will bless the Lord at all times, for he is good. 
and then grandpa, and then grandma, and then church family. All it seems like in one swift motion stood. They said, Lord, regardless. Don't get it. It's frustrating. Devastation. Like we cannot even begin to understand unless you've gone through something like that. But I'll bless the Lord at all times. Now, I can't sit here and tell you that for the rest of the days for those people that they never experienced a disruption of their peace again over that tragedy. That would, be, that would be foolish to say that. But what I will say is in that cavity of a moment where it felt like everything was falling apart and nothing made sense and God himself seemed dark, that they chose to bless him anyhow and the peace of Almighty God just came rushing in. And maybe you've experienced that on a lesser level, where things do feel like they're falling apart. But you just say, Father, regardless, I'm going to lean in and I'm going to bless you because I know that all this stuff, ultimately all this stuff doesn't matter. So I'm going to set my affections on the only thing that remains. And I'm going to bless you in the midst of all of this. If you've ever done that, you've sensed exactly what I'm talking about. There's a saturation that just comes from the spirit of the living God. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And those are the way that we sustain our inner peace. So this is my challenge to you. I'm going to ask you to stand real quick. <clears throat> Listen, we don't, we don't know what the next year holds. Man, you talk about so much uncertainty in our world. We don't, listen to me. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Much less Christmas week much less the next year, the next two or three years. But we do know this, that Jesus remains the prince of peace. And for the children of God that have access, because we have made peace with God, or better, he's made peace with us. Man, now we've got, we have access to peace with people, inner peace that's sustainable. We have access to all this kind of stuff. Man, I want to tell you, living in such an uncertain world, I just want to encourage you. Let's be people who are deliberate about pursuing peace, about passing peace, but pursuing the presence of God so that his peace just overwhelms and we become a people known for our peace, regardless of what comes our way. He wants to give it. It's one of the many, many reasons that he came to do it. And so today, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to pray in just a moment, and we're going to dismiss you. If you want to come and pursue the peace of God, you can do that in your seat. You can do that in an altar. Or any of these fine folks would be willing to pray for you if you have specific needs. Or if you just want to sit and soak in God's presence and, and pursue that, you're welcome. We know some of you may have to go, um, but we want to give you an opportunity to pursue that today. Amen. Father, we do love you this morning. Thank you, Lord for the opportunity, Lord, to have a, a, a peace that is complete, that's overwhelming, that's sustaining, whether life's really, really good or really, really poor. I thank you for our church family, all that they mean to me, and I want to pray for an extra measure of your peace going into this holiday season. I want to pray for an extra measure of confidence that you are going to sustain our peace as we go into this next year. And I want to pray, Lord, that regardless of what comes down the road for any of us, 
that the peace of God would fill our lives and we'd set you on the throne as Prince of Peace. So God, thank you for your people. Bless them, I pray in Christ's name. Amen, amen, and amen.